Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to Southside Online. My name's Jeff Williams. I'm the lead pastor here at Southside Church, where our mission is to build real followers of Jesus Christ. If you were to ask us the question, what does real look like? I would simply describe it this way. To be real means to know God. It means to find community in local biblical church settings. It means to grow deeper in your faith. And then it means to just develop discipleship and make disciples as you help us join with us to make it real easy to go to heaven from right here in Northeast Georgia. Listen, if you live close by to one of our two locations in Redstone, uh, South Jackson County, or the, the Commerce Campus in South Banks County at, ba at Tanger and Banks Crossing. Come join us. Come be a part of what God's doing. Come see what is happening and help us fulfill mission and vision in our community and help people come to know Christ, because that's what we want to do. We want to populate heaven, depopulate hell, and live. we'd love for you to be a part of it. Come and join with us. Right now, what we have been doing uh, through this year we like we and, and and I don't know that we necessarily communicate this well, but I know in our planning and our strategy meetings, we try to have a theme that we want to work through, something that we feel like God is speaking to us, leading us to do throughout uh, several months or a calendar year or a certain period of time. We began this year thinking and praying through and really strategizing around Luke nine twenty three, where Jesus said to his followers, he said he said to those who are following him. He said, if you want to be my disciple, he said, this is what it's going to take. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross daily, and you've got to come and follow me. And uh, those are easy words to say, but they're not always easy to live out. And so we've tried to lay that out for people, what that looks like to live as a disciple, to live as the church, to be a disciple maker. And, and, and why do we do that? We do that because he lives. Because he lives, we can live life to the fullest. Because the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundant. And so that leads us now to talking about stories. Stories of men and women in the Bible and their legacy of faith that they left for us in God's Word for us to live out, for us to see their example, learn from it, and then apply some principle or facet of it to a different stage or process place in our life. And so we kind of base this series around this verse. Hebrews 11.1 1, that says, now faith, not yesterday faith, not tomorrow faith, but right now faith. Now faith, what we have going on in our life right now. How does the word of God, how does God impact our life in the here and now? And he does it with our faith. Now faith is the reality of what we hope for. Hope. Biblical hope is not like worldly hope. Worldly hope is by chance. I sit back on my heels. It is very passive. Biblical hope is not passive. It's active. It is passionate. It is moving towards something because we believe it, we see it, and we want to achieve it. And so here, now faith is reality of what we're hoping for. It is the proof of what we don't see. Even though I can't see God, I believe he's real. Even though I can't see Jesus, 
I believe he's real. The Holy Spirit, heaven. I, I, I can't see those things, but I believe and I know that they're real. My faith says I know it's real. Therefore, I'm going to pursue it with my life. It's like a, it's, it's like a calling, a heavenly calling that God is, is pulling me to. I want to proceed with that, move forward with that. And so we're learning stories about that because faith is not just something you know. Faith is something you live. Faith is something you live. And this is this today is an example of 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. In Hebrews 11, it's kind of the hall of fame of faith. And, it, and, and each person that it talks about in that chapter says, by faith. By faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did that. By faith, by faith, by faith. Even a place in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because those who believe in him or, or come, those who want to know him, they've got to believe in him and come to him and believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we want to walk by faith, not by sight. And the story today is so applicable to this verse because the book that we're going to talk about uh, that, that, is, that, that carries the lady's name, uh, 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 which the story surrounds, is one of the, it's, it's a book in the Bible where God is never mentioned by name. It's like he's hidden on the pages of that story. And, and so, so what we have to do is we have to walk through this story by faith, not by sight, because God is not mentioned. It's almost like he's hidden from us. You see, the story of Esther illustrates the difficult balance between loyalty to God and life within a pagan culture. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Daniel, and, and I think Daniel and Esther are, are are kind of polar opposites in the way that they lived out their life. However, both of them struggled or both of them were faced with loyalty to God and life within a pagan culture. But what you see with Daniel is a, is a young man who was raised by his parents, trained up in, in the religion of the Jews and the, the, the belief that Yahweh God is the creator and trained up in those things. And then he was removed from that culture and placed in a Babylonian godless pagan culture. And he stood strong. He showed us that one person can stand for truth and honor and right and make a difference. Esther is completely different. Because Esther is not like a lot of ways we communicate her. Esther is not a Daniel. Esther is someone who was born in this culture, raised in this culture, impacted by this culture, and, and, is, and is living within it, not as a person of faith, but as a person that has Jewish heritage and descent. But she's as very much a part of this culture, the Persian culture, as anyone. And so what we see in this story is the difficult balance between loyalty to God and life within a pagan culture. Her story is an invitation. The story of Esther is an invitation to those whose faith, convictions, and practices are less than what they wish they were. If you find yourself today, and, and I mean, really, we're probably a lot more like Esther than we are like Daniel. 
because we're, there's really no difference today to me when we look at people within the church and people outside the church. Divorce rates are just the same. Money problems are just the same. Pornography issues, bitterness, angriness, gossip, lying, whatever. They're all, we, we, it's, it's even. There's no difference between the church and the world. And so it tells me that, that we're just like them. We're just like, there's really no difference in our life. And so if you look at your faith today, and it's not what you wish it were, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not exactly what you wish it was or could be, then today's message is for you. It's an invitation. Esther's story is an invitation to you, to the person whose faith, convictions, and practices are less than what they wish they were. So today I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you into this story, just the pages and the the content of this story, to see a lady who had 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 a heritage of faith. Maybe it was not yet her own, who was definitely inundated with a worldly culture and was living within it. But she finds herself in a crisis, and she has to make a decision. When God seems absent in life's darkest moments, we can trust that He hasn't abandoned us. If you want to know the thing, the main point of the book of Esther is two. One is an invitation When you see somebody's life, their convictions, their lifestyle, their choices are not what they wish they were. It's an invitation to show us this. When God seems absent in life's darkest moments, because of a story like this, we can trust that He has not abandoned us. You can trust that God has not abandoned you. Even though you don't feel Him, hear Him. See Him. Touch Him. Even though when you can't find Him, God, are you there? The story of Esther proves that the God of heaven has not abandoned you. Darkness makes us feel hopeless, number one today. Darkness makes us feel hopeless. Is that not what it does? Darkness does. Darkness brings hopelessness. You know why we can't see? We can't, we can't have certainty. We can't have surety. We can't, we can't have, have something to hold on to. And so darkness, especially darkness in our life, it makes us feel hopeless. But hopelessness does not mean helplessness. Hopelessness does not mean helplessness. I will tell you this, I've kind of been hitting this this nail on the head a lot on Sundays at Southside, talking about how God speaks, how God moves, how God works in our lives. And this is what God, I believe, wants us. I believe God speaks to us in one of five ways. God speaks primarily through His Word. 
Then he speaks through prayer, the church, godly counsel and influence, and finally our circumstances in order to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. We don't do the first thing. It doesn't matter who I talk to. It's almost 100% of the time people want me to pray for them, help them, counsel them, whatever. I will ask some questions. Hey, are you coming to church regularly? Ah, I try to for the most part. Do you pray? Oh, man, I pray all the time. Do you read the Bible? This is the answer I get. I don't get a yes or no. This is what I get. Not like I should. Not like I should. Okay? That's an easy lying way to say no, all right? No, you might as well just tell me no, because then I'll look at them and I'll say, so that means you don't, right? And they drop their head and they say, no, okay. That's the place where I slap them on the wrist and say, you dirty, rotten sinner, get out. No, I'm just kidding, I don't do that. No, I say, you know what? I put my arm around them and say, it's okay. I completely understand where you are. However, God primarily speaks today through his word. And Then he uses prayer, the church, godly counsel, and influence in our circumstances to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. But if you're not reading the Bible, you can't, you don't have a basis of knowledge of God, of how God works and moves, of what God wants us to learn and know, because it's all written right here on the pages of this book. And so one of the things we learn from the story of Esther and other places in the Bible for that matter is that darkness does not mean hopeless. And 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 hopelessness does not mean helplessness. This is the story. We'll start here in Esther chapter 4. I'll kind of lead up to it and share with you this way. Esther, Esther is, uh, has been raised in this Persian culture. She's lost her parents. She has been adopted by her cousin. His name is Mordecai. And Mordecai has raised her as his own. And and Mordecai has a basis and foundation of faith. But as we examine the first three chapters of this story, we really see them inundated in the culture, the Persian culture, a very godless culture, and and, and they are a part of it. And and there's a a disruption in the palace. Xerxes and the queen have a a massive argument, disagreement, and and she just doesn't do what he wants him to do. And she's removed from, from the palace. And a search is conducted for the next queen of Persia. And throughout a, a selection process and a whole lot of different things, as a matter of fact, it's, it's, when we read the book of Esther, I, I know you can go watch Veggie Tales and you see a story of Esther. This story is more Game of Thrones and less Veggie Tales, okay? I mean, when you look at Esther and her life, she's really more like the Kim Kardashian of the Old Testament. I mean, she got everything at this point in time in her life because she's picked and chosen by the king to be the next queen. She's beautiful. She's charming. She's sexy. I mean, she at this point has got fame. She got people, servants. She got all this stuff, okay? She is everything that the American culture says to pursue. She's there. She got it. She has arrived. 
But something happens. Mordecai has a disagreement with a guy named Haman, and he's a ruler or he's an official, a high-ranking official in the Persian Empire. And Haman hates hates Mordecai so much that he's going to devise a scheme and a plan, not just to get rid of Mordecai, but the Jews altogether. And by the way, a side note to history, many times throughout history has there been a demonic, devilish, wicked scheme to annihilate the Jews from the planet, all right? Hitler tried, the Russians tried, Haman tried, there's all, there's, it's, it, it, it's, it's tried to happen, Egypt tried, but God doesn't allow it. He's going to take care of his people. And so here, a decree is issued and signed off by Xerxes himself that within a certain amount of time, they are going to eradicate the Jews from their presence and exterminate them from the face of the earth. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went into the middle of the city, and he cried loudly and bitterly. When Mordecai finds out this decree, when he reads it along with everybody else, he goes into a period of mourning. This this whole story here is an example of mourning. That's what they did, okay? They tore their clothes. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They looked like they were broken. And he went into the middle of the city, and he's crying loudly and bitterly. Brother making a scene, all right? But he's not doing it for show. He is doing it because of what has been decreed and what he knows is about to happen. Isn't it just like us in times of darkness that we get real religious? We get real spiritual when things get really bad. We're like, Lord, I'm sorry for everything. God, I'll do anything. I just need you. It kind of goes back to the point where we talk about this, and he's, he's, we, we, we see that darkness may make us feel hopeless, but hopelessness does not mean helplessness. And right now, the darkness is making them feel hopeless. He only went as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. He's trying to get to Esther, and he can't. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, they wept, and they lamented. And many lay on sackcloth and ashes, continuing the mourning theme. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so he could take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Okay? This is Esther. They're coming to her. They're telling her what's going on, and she's like, here, I need you to take these clothes to Mordecai. I need you to take those to him. Let him know that I'm where I am today, and he will be okay. Don't worry. I will get you there. I can help take care of things. You know, this is, this is it. She was overcome with fear. 
She was. She was overcome with fear. She didn't know what to do. She hears all of that going on. And so here she sits in the palace and her people are out there broken. They don't know that she's a Jew. They don't know that about Queen Esther. And now she sends clothes for Mordecai to wear so that he could move away from that. And no, hey, it'll be okay. But he refused them. And Esther sermon hath it one of the king's eunuchs assigned to her and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. And so this man went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. And so, so Esther's already overcome with fear, not knowing exactly what's going on. She's removed from the situation. They send us somebody out to find out. The servant comes back and says, everything that is going to go down, which extends the darkness and hopelessness and that feeling of that all over the, the, the Jewish population. Here's what I want us to see. Esther is not a story about virtue and character, even though that's the way we communicate it. We communicate the story of Esther like it's one of virtue and character, but it's not. Instead, it's a story about someone who has become acclimated to a godless world and has grown quite comfortable with it. That's Esther. She's been acclimated to a pagan, godless culture and world, and she is quite comfortable living within it until something happens to the people around her, and she has no control over it. It's in those crisis moments that we really have to make decisions. We're forced and we're, we're faced with difficult decisions and we're forced to choose. Number two, to step toward your destiny, you might have to step away from your security. Really, this is just a, this is just a, a, a message about about finding the courage to stand in your faith within a world that has just absolutely gone crazy. How can we be faithful in a world that is absolutely faithless? Well, first we have to understand that hopelessness does not mean helplessness. Number two... We have to understand that to step toward a destiny, and by the way, you have one. You have a unique design, plan, and purpose for your life that I believe was bestowed upon you by the God of heaven. Now, what we have to do is find out what that is. We have to mine it out. And we have to fight through the false identity that the world, the sinful nature, and the devil himself place upon us and to, to, to get into the true identity that God has for us. And so we have to fight through that. We've got to work to get there, okay? Faith has everything to do with God and Jesus. Jesus made it possible for you to have faith in him and life in him and eternal life with him, okay? But, but it, doesn't, it doesn't remove us from responsibility. 
It doesn't remove us from accountability. It does not remove us from action and effort and faith and work. I don't work to get to heaven. I work as a result of my destiny that is in heaven and of the calling that God has placed upon my life. And so we want to find that. We want to discover that and find out what that looks like. Romans 14. Romans 14 says this. I love this passage. It says to, uh, uh, in, in Romans 14, he says, besides this, knowing the time, It is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep. For our salvation today is nearer than when we first believed. Put away darkness, walk with decency, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful place to get away from, 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 from disregard the discrepancies and the darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 12, he said, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer, present your body to God as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. It is your reasonable act of worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So then you can test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. To step towards your destiny, you might have to step away from your security. Look at what happens. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree, in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathach might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. The only problem with that is, is unless the king invited her, her doing something like this could cost her her life. But nevertheless, Hathach, because she asked him to, came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to him and commanded him to go tell Mordecai. This is what she said. All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king. The death penalty if they haven't been summoned. Only if the king extends the gold scepter will that person live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king in the last 30 days. And her words were reported to Mordecai. And so Esther has a choice. Step away from your security and into your destiny. Or step away from your destiny and be swallowed by your security. Here's what she's facing. Esther enters the crisis by facing reality, embracing weakness, and a little spoiler to the story, she finds help from an unseen world. She doesn't know what to do. She's got to face reality. She's got to embrace weakness. She's not finding, she doesn't, not the strength and the courage. She's got to embrace weakness. She has to humble herself to go before the king. She's got to find help from a world that she has not been searching for. Okay? See, you will never make a difference from a distance. I just, it's just true. You will never make a difference in this world from a distance. You got to get close. And so, hopelessness doesn't mean helplessness. To step into your destiny means you got to step away from your security. And finally, we see this. We see that if you want to make a difference... You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make a difference with your life. Hey, you can't do that from a distance. You gotta get close. 
Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. Don't think that you'll be removed from this. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But me and you and our father's house will be destroyed. And here's the key line from the book of Esther. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. If I'm going to do something that's going to cost me my life potentially, I don't want to hear the word perhaps. <laughs> I want to know because I know, because I know that if I do this, something good's going to come from it. But she doesn't. She has to face reality, embrace weakness, and ask for help from an unseen world. Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And so Esther sends this reply back to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. The underlying assumption here is that they are fasting and praying. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my servants will also fast in the same way. And after that, I will go to the king even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you feel like you need to do something, but you just don't know what to do? Yes. That's her. And, and fasting was a, an, a common occurrence amongst the Jewish people. And so she is going back to a principle, a foundation in her life that she is going to hold on to. And she's going to trust that the hidden God that is not mentioned in her story by name is going to do something for her that she can't do for herself. So Mordecai did everything that she commanded him. See, the story of Esther invites us to cling to hope, however small, and have confidence in God no matter what evil you might currently be experiencing. The story of Esther invites you to hold on, cling to hope, and have confidence in God no matter what you're facing. God, are you there? God, speak to me. God, show me. God, give me what I need for the moment in which you have placed me so that I can bring honor to your name. See, the decisions that we make today determine the stories we get to tell tomorrow. What happened to Esther? Go read it for yourself. <laughs> Go read chapters 5 and on. Go see how the God of heaven responded to her plea for help and showed her that hopelessness doesn't always mean helplessness. The decisions we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. See, you may not currently understand God's planning and purposes for your life. That's okay. 
when you realize God's purpose, you will feel empowered. You feel empowered to make a stand. And taking a risk is easier when you know God is in control. So know it, believe it, feel it, and live it. Today, start where you are and do the next right thing. And whatever you do, don't ever underestimate God's power in one person's life to make a monumental difference in a world gone mad. Can I pray for you today? Father, for every person that would hear this sermon today, hear this message, this invitation, may they hold on to you. May they search for you, find you, cling to you, and walk with you. May you go ahead of them and come behind them, and may you surround them with songs and shouts of deliverance and victory. And may we see changes in our world and in their world as a result of their faith in you and you working mightily in and through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today.